this sermon series that we're in entitled Unworthy. We've been through a couple of parts so far and as we head into today, I'm going to jump over because I've got some material to go through and some stuff I want to say, the initial part. So if you want to know what the series is about, you can go back and watch uh, parts one and two and see the intent of this series. But we're looking at Romans where it says that... Uh, that all have fallen short of the glory of God. And when we fall short, we feel unworthy of God's love. We feel unworthy of His grace, of His mercy. But our perception is not reality. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, God loved us. Amen? He desires relationship with you and me. But we're looking through this story that we talked about last week and began talking about in Luke chapter 10. And it's the story of the Good Samaritan. Is the title of it that it's known as to us and it's a term that's even coined in our society that a lot of people will talk about being a good Samaritan you'll see it on the news and they'll throw this term out there and uh, a lot of people that wasn't raised in church or have never been exposed to the gospel or really dug into the Bible may not even know that it's a biblical story The Good Samaritan is the person of influence in the story that caused the story to be named after him and the story to be known by him, but there's other people involved. And we're looking through these individuals to find some biblical truths and some application to us. And not everybody is a hero. Amen. My only time ever making the news and my most popular Facebook post ever, WSAZ Proud, they called me a good Samaritan. Because I'd stopped my car and prevented those people from going in the hole that time back this past year, the big sinkhole in Ashland. I was at the right place at the wrong time. But a lot of times when no situation happens, I didn't look at myself as doing anything other than what you should do. And we know what we should do, right? The Bible says that to him that knows to do good and that he does it not, to him and his sin, we, we need to be careful when God teaches us things 
that we want to do the things he asks us to do. Our actions matter. We can speak a lot of encouraging words, but if we don't follow through with actions, we need to be aware that sometimes people need Christians to be present and not just vocal. So this story, as Jesus, I talked about last week, was interrupted in his ministry and this expert of the law I talked about come up and tried to challenge Jesus and trip Jesus up and maybe we've been guilty of that ourselves. maybe we think we're experts of life and we know more than him but anytime you're going to get in exchange with Jesus I promise you you're fixing to lose the debate amen so don't argue with him it's not going to work but as the story goes, yes, this expert of law was trying to trip Jesus up, and Jesus answered him with a question. The guy answers back, and then I talked about that this, then Jesus taught with a story. So Jesus will answer your question either with another question, or he's going to tell you a parable, it's called, or a story to give you a picture of what he's trying to say. So the next person that I want to look at today is the person in the story that the story begins with, and Jesus, it says, verse 30, says Jesus replied with the story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. Let's ask God to give us some insight into this verse today. Won't you bow your head as pray? Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we rejoice in the joy of our salvation. God, I pray today that you would just illuminate our hearts. God, ease the tensions that may be going on in people's lives as they're facing situations and have a lot of thoughts going through their head. God, give us clarity of our mind right now and a clean slate so that we can hear what you're saying to us. God, allow our hearts to be receptive of what your word is speaking into our lives. And God, for the ones that are sitting here today feeling like they're maybe even unworthy to even be sitting in a church service, God, I pray today that you would help us to see that you're bigger than our failures, that you sent your son to accomplish a task that we couldn't finish renew us refresh us cause us to walk out of this place today with purpose in Jesus name I pray amen so as we look at this individual this Jewish man he fell short in a couple of ways that I want to look at and one is, I think he fell short by no fault of his own other than his judgment that he made to travel alone. He probably thought his ethnic background and who he was and who he was born as would 
protect him in his nation. Sometimes I believe we as Americans are too proud and boisterous and think too highly of ourselves because of where we're a citizen of this nation. And I don't know about you, but I didn't choose where I was born. Actually, I don't think anybody chooses where they're born. I don't think God's up in heaven and sitting there and, and he'll look down and ask this little baby that's getting ready to come and be born, he'll, where do you want to be born at? If that was the case, I don't think anybody would say, well, I want to be born in a tribe in Africa where I'm going to have to walk four miles a day to go get a little pail of muddy water. Everybody would choose the land of promise that we have inherited just by being born here. We need to be thankful for who we are. And we don't need to take the resources that God gives us and just squander it on ourselves. I believe God gives us the capability to change people's lives, and we've done that, and we as a church always do that. And I'm so grateful for the Bridge Church that always gives back. And the things that we did and the beds that you was able to purchase and buy for those little kids over there in a the foreign ground that come into a nation that they didn't even have citizenship in and the church took them in and into that orphanage and you as a church purchased those beds and it's an honorable thing to do, the right thing to do. But I think this gentleman here, this Jewish man, thought his birthright protected him when in reality, we need to understand that we are not meant to travel alone. Look at your neighbor and say, don't do life alone. Don't do life alone. Your citizenship will not protect you from falling short. Humans fall daily we fall short daily as humans but God has a better pathway for our lives so I believe this gentleman didn't fall short because of his own doing really but simply he was in the wrong place at the wrong time he made the decision what way he was traveling that day and he wanted to go from Jerusalem down to Jericho, but as he was traveling on this journey, I'm sure that he'd been that way before. But oftentimes, as humans, I think we lean on our own understanding and think we're able to do more than what's humanly possible. I'm not very capable of anything without God's help. Amen? I'm pretty accustomed to messing things up. Do I have any partners in the room? Yeah. I'm guilty. When I get involved or I try to do it my way, I make a mess out of things. Leslie gets mad at me because whenever I go in to cook for myself, and I'm pretty good at cooking cereal, I, I can do a good job of it, but I even make a mess of that. The other day I was, you know, it's been some while back. It's been not the, when I yes, cheated last right. week. This has been some while back. I, I 
cooked me a bowl of cereal and you know I put it in the bowl and got the milk out and stood there and I was, I was pouring the milk in it and all of a sudden I looked and somehow the milk wasn't just going in the bowl it was dripping down the side of the jug and it was going all the way down the door and and when that was happening I was like oh no I'm gonna get killed this is not gonna be good so I got the towel there and I, I wiped it up to make sure and cover my tracks and she didn't even know it until I just said it. I didn't use soap, I just wiped it off. It's probably sticky now, but she'll go home and fill every cabinet trying to figure out which one was it. We try to do more than what's humanly possible. That's not a bad thing because if God gives us a vision or a dream or something to do and he points us in a direction and declares us, go and accomplish this thing. We're well able to do it if we're partnering with him. So some things are not humanly possible, but if God gives you direction and you hear his voice and you know it's his will, take off and go see what God can do. Amen? Because with him, all things are possible. If I do it in and of myself... I'll fall short. The Bible says that nature itself teaches us. First Corinthians chapter 11 verse 14 says, Does not nature itself teach you? So sometimes when we want to know a lesson from God, we, it's not just a biblical thing to just dig into the Bible. We can see things in the natural world because God created all this. And there's some truth in everything that we are exposed to. So even nature itself teaches God's principles because God made the nature. Nature is in a fallen state, yes, but there's still truths there that if we will look to them, we'll see that God has a truth for us to learn from nature. So if we look to nature's instruction, and I want to look at it, from this mindset of clinging together and the, and the safety that it provides when we're in a group or when we're in a club or when we're on a team. And as I look to nature and think about those things, I started thinking about just different terms that different animals. Some of these, as I begin to look them up, there was ones I knew and then there's other ones that I didn't even know what the right term was to use for that type of animal. So I'm going to name through a few of them. So uh, we, we, we would probably all know that what a herd of buffalo is. Now, if, if you could just imagine that. So if you would, just close your eyes right now. And I want you to, as I say these words, I want you to imagine a picture form of what I'm saying. So everybody close your eyes. Herd of buffalo. Can you see that? What about a flock of geese? Can, can you imagine that up in the air, a flock of geese? What about a colony of ants you can see that can't you what about a pack of wolves a swarm of bees a school of fish a troop of baboons youth quit laughing or is that oh it's Sammy sorry youth it's Sammy he's the childish one Kelsey do something with him <laughs> a gang of weasels, 
A kettle of vultures. Anybody know that? A kettle of vultures? Do you know what that was, was when they're up there swirling around in the sky? That's a kettle of vultures. A coalition of cheetahs. Probably wouldn't have named that, would you? How about a business of ferrets? So when you get a bunch of ferrets together, known as a business of ferrets. What about a family of sardines? Can you see that? Man, I love sardines. I love a family of them in mustard. Come on, somebody. You got any amens in the room? A family of sardines is pretty good in a little tin can. What about a Roomba of rattlesnakes? Do you know that's what it was? If you get in a big group of rattlesnakes, it's called a Roomba. You thought that was what cleaned your floor. What about a parliament of owls? Okay, you can unclose your eyes, which is basically opening your eyes. It worked. Did you not unclose your eyes? What is, what's the term used for polecats if you get a bunch of polecats together? Anybody know? A skunk of polecats? Come on, Karen. Leslie, do something for your mom. I can. I've, tried, I've been trying for 37 years. Okay, Leslie's tried for 37 years. She's ultimately fell short of doing anything with Karen. The word is chine, C-H-I-N-E. So if you get a bunch of skunks together, Karen, they're known as a chine. Never heard that term, right? But when those animals, and we've all watched Animal Kingdom, I'm sure, or one of those shows, History Channel, one of those, we've seen these things happening. And when they stay in the group or the cluster or the club or the team or the chine or all these other, the Roomba, all these other groupings of animals, there's safety when we're together. Amen? So I believe this gentleman that we're talking about, this Jewish guy, where he fell short was he got outside of his pack. He attempted to do it alone. And this wasn't something that in their society that they understood that this was a road that you traveled, and when you travel it, you don't go it alone. There are some places, whenever you go to an inner city, I remember being a teenager and running off one time, and uh, me and some buddies, we didn't even know where we was at, we ended up downtown Cincinnati, and we was on the wrong street. I'm not going to name the street, but everybody knows what street that is in Cincinnati. You don't want to get caught on that street. It's a bad place to be. Not that Cincinnati's a bad place to be. That road is a bad place to be. You're going to get in trouble. There's places in Columbus. There's places in Cleveland. So it's not just alone to Cincinnati. There's bad places in Lexington. There's bad places in Louisville that I've traveled. You know the ones I'm talking about. Whenever you're rolling in through there and you run up on a, a stop sign, you lock the doors. You know what I'm talking about? You don't even stop. Leslie runs stop lines, so sometimes you can break the law. So this guy knew don't travel this road because this was, was things that happened before. So he knew better, but he decided to do it alone. Look at your neighbor and say, don't do life alone. So we can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It said, the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper that's fit for him. And that's when Eve 
was created by God. It's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for a woman to be alone. There's all kinds of things that you can take that verse and show it on both sides. Because there's New Testament talk that talks about that man was made for the woman, or woman was made for the man, but then also man is made from the woman. Both are important, equally important. So it's not about one being a hierarchy to the other or superior to the other. We're all equals. We're all created by God. Man was first. I will say that. But of course I'm a man saying that, ain't I? And then I offended all the ladies in the room. But man was not made or intended to be alone. Adam looked around and seen every other animal have somebody to be with. And he was perplexed because he had no one. And this thought brought about where God created him and helper. 1 Peter 5.8 says this, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a lion, seeking whom to devour. When we get away from our group, I think nobody is safe. On Animal Planet, the, the nature shows that you watch, you'll see this, that any time somebody gets away from the fold, that there will be something there, a lion or lioness, that you'll see. And as this happens, you'll watch them. They'll watch for the weakest. They'll watch for the newborn. They'll watch for the elderly one that can't keep up with the pack. They'll watch, and these lions are the ones pouncing on opportunities of the one away from the pack. So we've got to be careful to not get away from the pack. But I do love that verse that it says he goes about like a roaring lion. It doesn't say he is a lion. He goes about like a roaring lion. So basically all he is is a fake lion. He can make the sound, but he don't have the bite. Amen? The enemy will intimidate you to try to tell you you're unworthy because he don't want you to know you are worthy of God's goodness. He wants you to believe everybody else has a pathway to salvation, but I don't. I've, I've sinned too far. I've done too much. God, how could he love a scoundrel like me? But that's just the one that's like a roaring lion telling you that. He is a liar, and he's the father of lies, it says in Scripture. That's what Jesus declared. He's the father of lies. He's the greatest liar of all time. So when he gets you away from your group, nobody is safe. You need others. It's time for us to pack up as a church. Amen? It's a time for us as individuals to get back in and begin to group together. It's a time for everybody in this room to find somebody to surround yourself with. A crew, a posse, whatever you want to call it. A team, whatever you want it to be. Get in a group with some people. 
And I assure you, when you do, you will be leaning on somebody sometimes, and then there's other times that somebody will be leaning on you. I thank God for our youth group and for all the things that the youth are doing and they're accomplishing and the stability that they have whenever that Sammy and Kelsey comes into the room with Dusty and Albie and joins together and begins to pack up and say, we're going to surround these kids and they're going to know with God all things are possible. I thank God for youth group. It's not youth individuals, it's youth group. They're in it together. They're in this battle of life together. They need to stick together. Surround yourself. And then defend your brothers and sisters. There's nothing wrong with standing up when somebody has been treated wrong. That'd be a good place for an amen. These youth are listening to you, adults. When somebody's bullying somebody in school, what should you do? Stand up for them. Stand up with them. Get together in the pack because I promise you this, that a bully, the second that he gets resistance from a group, he'll cower and go away the other way. Amen? And there's sometimes that you might even have to stand up alone even though others just stand there and watch. We probably all remember the Christmas story. And a good dose of Ralphie sometimes will teach a good lesson. I'm not telling kids to go beat people up. Uh-oh, there you go. We got one amen in the back. <laughs> Defend each other. Surround each other. Youth group, be there for each other. Defend each other. Stand up for each other. Parents, protect your kids. And I think through, like, on uh, some of those Animal Plant shows, and there's this... Uh, whatever, one of those little videos going around a while back and it showed that lioness coming over there and trying to get a hold of that little, I think it was like a water buffalo and that uh, water buffalo and the lioness grabbing a hold of it and that mama buffalo coming over there with its horns and, and grabbing that lioness through the gut and tossing it with its horns and protecting the young at all costs. Even if it means I'm battling something that seems bigger, better, faster, and meaner than me, my kids are worth fighting for. Is there anybody in this room that believes this generation is worth fighting for? God is calling us. Be the difference makers, folks. It's time for the adults in the room to stand up for these kids. Pack up. Group together. Do what God's asked us to do. Don't do life alone. Nobody in this church should be battling battles alone. There's people sitting here that is on your, in your corner, that's on your team, that's there, and they want to protect and fight for you. The Bible says that the battle is the Lord's. As Rick said, the battle is the Lord's. It's not ours. We can't fight anything. God through us can he can, he can accomplish anything. There's nothing impossible for him. Let's look to him for our help. It's a matter of life and death, both spiritually and physically. It's worth fighting for. This Jewish man found himself falling short and laying on the side of the road, beat up, left for dead, robbed, disgraced,
When we go at life alone, that's where we'll find ourselves. Battered, beaten. The world does not want you to accomplish anything. The world does not want you to have good success. Only God desires success for His people. The world will pick you apart. They'll tear you down. They'll rob you. And they'll leave you for dead like you're useless or unworthy. But God says differently. I believe there's a difference between falling short on our own and being knocked down by the enemy. The enemy wants you to feel unworthy of God's protection and get you to react to situations and to people out of your carnal nature. We are battling outside forces beyond our control every day. Has there anybody been in some battles here lately? Walked through some situations and outside forces are contradicting everything you want to accomplish and causing you to feel unworthy and like I'll never be able to succeed. I'm never going to get through this. And it seems like there's just no way out. But what if we would begin to believe God intends differently? Why look at the outside forces that says no whenever God is saying yes, you are my beloved. You are the one that I cherish. You are the one that I'm pursuing. You are the one I'm chasing. What if we would look to Him instead of looking to the forces that look to tell us we're unworthy. We are in control of how we react to those outside forces. I'm pretty sure that self-control is still one of the nine fruits of the Spirit listed in Galatians chapter 5. And actually, I believe it's the last one. Sure, we can have faith. Sure, we can have love. Sure, we can have peace. All these other ones. But this last one says, have self-control. I think this is a hard one. Because it's dependent upon us. God gives us the fruit of the Spirit. You have the gift. If you are a Christian today and you have given your life to Jesus, these fruit of the Spirit comes in because they're a gift from God. You have love. You have gentleness, you have meekness, you have kindness, you have temperance. You have all these nine gifts of the fruit of the Spirit. You possess them today, and you do possess self-control. Look at your neighbor and say, won't you control yourself? You probably fell short lately. You might have even fell short driving to church this morning. So these outside forces are something that's impacting us. And we've got to be careful that we don't allow the outside forces to control our situation. Self-control is what we need. And if we control ourselves, even the outside situation has no dominion over us. So for the past couple of years, COVID-19 has been an outside force that tries to control who we are or what we think about. It's put an immeasurable amount of pressure on all of us. Some are working from home, isolated from their co-workers. 
and the interaction that they were used to. Your kids in school missed a year away from their classmates and were continuing to see the effects it had on their psyche. Attended the school board meeting just a, was that last week? Monday. Monday night. I went to the school board meeting. I don't have kids and I was the only person there representing the community. So the school board meeting is right over there in the library. It's open to the public. And the only person sitting there, other than the school board members or the school officials, was me. Two contractors. But they had to be there because they had to give a report. I was the only person that chose to go there. And a majority of that school board meeting was them talking about the stress that is upon the school system with kids being quarantined and, and teachers being quarantined and, and how, how to get teachers back to work and all these things. And they, it, it put pressure on us. And it's an outside force that we don't control. And it affected the psyche of kids and the teachers that's in the room. You know what I'm talking about. The kids that's behind. That you're trying to get them caught back up. It wasn't the kids' fault. We can't put an undue burden on them and say, you got to catch everything up in, in this first six months of the year that you come back into the classroom. It's not going to work. Right, Kenny? They cannot catch up that fast. It's okay. They've got the ability to have self-control to figure out, I can't do it all, but I can do something. What we need to do is inspire the kids to say, yes, I may have lost a year of my training and my education, and I don't see how I'm going to get a good grade again, but teach them and inspire them and encourage them to say, I can do something. I'm going to control what I can control, and I'm not going to worry about what I can't control. Come on, teachers. Come on, parents. Let's be the encouragers of this next generation. It's our job. It's our duty. It's our responsibility. It's our God-given right that we need to be the people that encourages, that don't tear down, that don't always say they're left behind, and they'll never get it fixed. I think God can fix what the enemy tried to steal. Amen? I think he can repair the breaches that's been broken. I believe I've got a God that's capable of doing anything but failing. How about you? So many of our beloved healthcare workers working multiple shifts due to decline in retention rates of their peers. And, and I heard a report this past week and listened to something that said 40% of healthcare workers have walked away from the field since the beginning of COVID. And sure, we can gripe about it, and we can complain, and, and it's real easy to do that. Is it, do I have any complainers in the room? Am I the only one? Well, nobody's raising their hand, so I guess it's me and you. Oh, here we go. We're up front. We got some more. Amen. And it's easy to belittle the hospital and the health care workers and say, I walked up there, and I can't believe it. I sat six hours in that ER, and nobody's seen me. And, and we complain 
about having a building that's built out of brick, that's got heating and air conditioning, that's got every piece of equipment known to man sitting in there, that's got physicians walking through the hallways, that's got nurses, that's got janitors, that's got cooks up there, and, and, and we got all these things that we could be thankful and grateful for, but we look at the thing we don't get the minute we need it and the minute we think we owe, are owed to us. What about the person down there in Africa that has to walk or go somewhere for miles and miles and miles and there is no hospital? The nations that don't even have health care. I guess I need to get off my soapbox because you're looking at me mean. That's self-control. Christians should be the ones on their knees right now knowing that there's an outside force that we have no control over, but we know the one that does control it. The one that does have the power to change it. And there's power in prayer. There is power that you have resources when you hit your knees and begin to call out on God and see if He don't come through. How many sick and tired of this outside force conditioning us and saying you have no control, you're unworthy, and you'll never see anything there. I believe God is well able to fix this mess that we find ourselves in. Stop looking to ourselves to fix it. It's His and His alone. The battle is the Lord's. Another podcast I listened to this past week said, and he's, they've been saying it for about the past six months, it's, it's one of the ads that's on, their, on the podcast that said that the number one suicide rate as an occupation is construction. And when I've been listening to that, I've been thinking about our church because so many from our church work in construction. And there's an undue burden that's been placed upon construction workers. And it's just one of many occupations. And I, we can't get into every one of them. But construction workers are the number one suicide rate throughout the pandemic. Sometimes you can be surrounded by people but yet be alone in your mind. You can look for this truth in Scripture in, in Exodus chapter 18. This is where... Uh, Moses' father-in-law comes and gives him some advice. Some of us need to look to, for some of those people with some gray in their beard or no hair or some gray hair or something like that and begin to ask them about wisdom because they've been through it. They've faced it. Sure, there's an outside force happening. Sure, there's bad things happening. But there are generations out there that can help us know God will bring you through it. Is there any gray-haired people in the room that can attest to that God will get you through the messes that you find yourself in? He's well able to fix our problems. He can help us. So you older generation, begin to encourage those young mothers and fathers and as you see them tackling this situation and, and their kids and all this stuff going on, these young families that we have here in church, we need the old-timers to speak up and say, it's not over until God says it's over. It's our job to do that. I read a post yesterday on Facebook, and it's one of my friends I'm about done. His name's Eric, and I attended church with him, and he, he was in the initial youth group when I originally got into church, and I gave my life to Jesus, and they asked me to go over and sit with the youth group about like what you guys are doing, Sammy and Kelsey, and you have no idea how inspirational you are to young people. Continue doing what you're doing. 
And all of you out there that calls Dusty and Albie or Sam and Kelsey and says, what food do you need? What can we bring tonight to make youth group better? Thank you. We're all partners in this together. But this young kid was a high school kid and his name was Eric. And I lost track of him over time, but thank God for Facebook that it allowed me to interact with him. And these past several years, it's just been so overwhelming. And I didn't even realize it, but I hadn't saw a post from him forever. But he had completely done away with his social media. But he did get back on there the day and he posted and he, last I knowed of that he was pastoring a church. And he got back on Facebook and he made this big long post. And it completely broke my heart. And in a nutshell he basically said, yes, I once pastored. I once believed the Bible was true. But the church beat me up. And he goes on to say that he had become an atheist. And he left the faith. And he's pursuing his music career. When we get ourselves alone, nobody's exempt from the enemy devouring you. He will pick you apart if you get alone. Do not get alone. It breaks my heart for this young man. He's maybe 40 years old, probably less than that. He's probably mid-30s. Had pastored a church, a thriving church. And walked away from it all. Leslie and I had another friend in ministries. They're mentors. And we would go and have meals with them. And asking for advice. And he'd been in the ministry forever. And he was probably 40 years older than me. And a great man. And a great wife. And pastored a great church of over 400 people. He was very successful in ministry. And all of a sudden... He began to crack under pressure. And he sent Leslie and I a message and talked to us about this book that he had read. And we began to hear rumors about them drinking and next thing you know he resigned his church and I didn't want to believe the rumors. I didn't want to believe what everybody else was saying. I wanted to go see it for myself. And Leslie and myself went down to visit them and we sat in their living room. And we went over to have a meal with them and yes, they brought out some alcohol and set it on the table and he said, yeah, I drink. I wasn't judgmental and saying, you wicked, no good for nothing. I, I didn't go at it like that. It broke my heart to know where he came from and what he had accomplished. And to see him going through this outside forces. Because ministry feels like you're alone. And I know what that feels like. And the next thing you know, he said some cuss words. And he said, I cuss on purpose. I, was like, 
I couldn't believe it. This was a guy that had given me so much advice. Didn't he? And today he claims he's an atheist. Another preacher I know of. Completely abandoned everything he did for years and decades. Do not do life alone. You have to get in a pack. You have to get in a group. This verse is one that I thought of when, as I was coming to this point. I'm about finished here. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. You took notes. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. We fall short when we stand on our own power. You can look through that whole verse through 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and go read it. I don't just take that one verse, contextualize it, and see how many times that it tells. The Apostle Paul is telling the Corinthian church, don't do life alone. I'm ending with this. You are loved. Romans 8.31 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? I'm going to declare to you today, in this closing, today, your family loves you and they need you, whether you realize it or not. The enemy be telling you, give up, throw in the towel, quit trying. Your family loves you and needs you, whether you realize it or not. Your co-workers cherish you, whether you realize it or not. saw this past week one of my co-workers that I know of and he posted a picture of, of, of a suicide hotline and he said some friend that he had worked with recently on a job site out there traveling on the road and under the undue pressure of outside circumstances and found himself and this guy had committed suicide this past week I guarantee you his family back home loved him and cherished him desired for the best for him and when you're out there alone it's hard your church at the bridge we love you and we need you more than you realize the devil is a liar your pastor needs you your small group needs you those kids out there in those rooms need you these teens sitting down here they need you teenagers your friends need you your family loves you more than you know your classmates at school need you man your neighborhood needs you whether you realize it or not leave here today knowing that the love of God is wooing you and he's seeking to set you free from the snare of the enemy. Love everybody you come into contact with this week. Because there's already too many out there beating them up and robbing them of their futures like this Jewish guy that found himself on the side of the road. Be there for somebody this week. During the snowstorm, help your neighbor do good deeds
God's calling us. You're worthy to help those in need. You're not unworthy. You're worthy to help those in need. He's asking us today, help somebody. If you would bow your head and close your eyes. Nobody looking around. Nobody at all looking around. I just want to keep this so that I know how to pray as a pastor over these people. You're sitting here today and as this word has came forth, you've you've heard this message and you heard these words and the Holy Spirit is pricking your heart right now and, and you know that you've been in a battle and it seems like you've almost been overwhelmed feels like you're losing it. And you heard this today and you're saying, yes, Pastor, pray for me because I am ready to be set free. Lift your hand right now, everybody in this room. If that's you, amen. Amen. Hands everywhere. Everywhere. Father, I thank you for these individuals. And Lord, as the enemy has been about like a roaring lion trying to devour them. God, I pray today that you would encourage them, that you would strengthen them. Lord, that you would give them insight, that you would give them self-control. And God, that they could see that the family that you have given them loves them dearly. God, I pray that they would see that their friends, that their co-workers loves them dearly. And God, that they would see and know and understand that their church loves them dearly. God, empower them to do good deeds this week. Allow them to turn the corner this week, God, as they go out and they begin to do things for others, God, that they would see that you're worthy through them, God, to accomplish great and mighty things. That they would step out with some self-control and say, I'm tired of complaining. I'm going to begin to bless and to not curse. Cause a turnaround to happen this moment in their life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.